welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do, that we do. And today, we are watching Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. That's right, I'm not even gonna mince words. I'm just going to cut right to the chase. This is the end, guys. The end of the Harry Potter franchise. Oh, my God. I am feeling both excited to talk about this movie and very melancholy at the fact that this is the end of the franchise. Very similarly to how I felt when I saw this movie in theaters back in 2011. It's interesting watching, like, the second half of the franchise and kind of seeing where it went scott just before we get into some fun facts the background info how did you feel overall about this movie as far as how it ended the harry potter franchise i think it did a good job it's hard to end a book series in a way that seems to make most fans happy it does a very good job, I feel like, wrapping up a lot of stuff. There are some things that I feel like come way too quickly. But this was smart to split this into two movies. Because if you had to make this one movie with Deathly Hollows Part 1, I don't know what they would have caught. Right. I, I do agree with you there. I think that the pacing in this movie is very fast, but not in a bad way. Because I, I think that the movie wanted to get to the real meat and potatoes of the book, which is the Battle of Hogwarts. And that takes up most of this movie. And it, it's such an epic fucking battle. So, so many things happening, so many emotions. So I, I felt them all. This movie had the same director, writer, composing team as part one of Deathly Hallows. We have David Yates directing, Stephen Cloves writing as usual, and Alexandra Desplat composing. He was actually Grammy nominated for his score in this film, which I think the score is great. There are a lot of, like I said, emotional moments, and the score really just supports those moments. This movie was very highly acclaimed amongst fans and critics. It was nominated for three Oscars. However, the franchise as a whole never won an Oscar, which is kind of a bummer. But like, you know, at the same time, big blockbustery movies like this tend to not even be nominated half the time for Oscars. So it, it's pretty cool nonetheless that it was nominated so many times. Yeah, it's not the 70s or 80s anymore when you can get away with that nomination possibly winning because we were so amazed by what the effects were right. in front of us. Exactly. It's, but in the, now it's, this movie what is 2011. We're not as amazed by what we see on the movie screen anymore because we've seen most of it. But it was nominated for Best Makeup. And it was also nominated for both visual effects and art direction. But Deathly Hallows Part 2 also won the People's Choice Award for Favorite Movie of the Year. And it was the highest grossing Harry Potter film, making over $1.3 billion. It set a record for highest grossing opening weekend, beating Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. But... Then it lost the record uh, 10 months later when the Avengers came out. (laughs) 
So we got a lot to get through here with this movie. So Scott, are you ready to get into the nitty and the gritty? Yeah, let's do this. Okay, so we pick up right where the last film left off. Our trio supreme is hiding out at Bill Weasley and Flor Delacour's house by the beach. And Harry is sitting by Dobby's newly dug grave. And it's super sad right off the bat. The tone overall in this movie is very gloomy and dark. You figure like, oh, we're on the beach. It's nice. It's beautiful. It's these new couples home. And then you go on to the elf's grave saying, here lies Dobby, a free elf. And you're like, oh, no. Harry's sitting by his grave looking longingly into this magical mirror that he had in the first movie. That so far, as far as the movie is concerned, is unexplained. It will be explained very briefly in this movie. But Harry goes into the house and he decides that he wants to talk to Grip Hook, who is the goblin that they saved from the Death Eaters' lair in the last movie. Grip Hook gives a bad name to goblins. He does. That's true. He's a little fucking prick. This whole beginning part with Grip Hook. Ollivander and where we're going with Gringotts kind of felt almost like padding in a way. Yeah, I get what you're saying there. Like, I, I, I just felt like the pace here was so slow. So let me just explain kind of the, the background of this beginning part of the movie here. So our trio Supreme go in and talk to Grip Hook. Harry asks him, Why did Bellatrix Lestrange in the last movie, why did she think that the sword of Gryffindor should be in her vault at Gringotts? What the fuck was that about? And Griphook's like, well, she thought that because a fake sword was put into her vault by Severus Snape. And she was like, why would Snape want Bellatrix to believe that she had the sword of Gryffindor? That's weird. But they kind of brush over that. And Harry's like, well, I want to get into Bellatrix's vault and you're going to help me. And Grip Hook's like, fine, I'll, I'll help you, but you have to give me the sword of Gryffindor in exchange for my help because it's goblin made and it belongs with the goblins. So there, fuck you. And Harry's like, okay, fine, whatever. They leave the room and the trio Supreme are chatting about what the fuck they're going to do. And Harry says, I think there must be another Horcrux in Bellatrix Lestrange's vault because when she thought we had gotten into her vault, she got so upset and was freaking out. So there must be something in there of Voldemort's that she's trying to hide. Yeah. And this leads to our next MacGuffin hunt. Honestly, yes, we all understand what the Horcruxes kind of are at this point, but it's never really explained, I guess, in the movies. I guess it's explained in the book why these random MacGuffins are important like yes they're his soul but mm-hmm. like why he chose this chalice or this oh well they do kind of explain that in the book actually so Voldemort had a, a special connection with Hogwarts because like Harry he never really had a home yes. other than Hogwarts so when he was making his horcruxes he wanted a piece of each founder of Hogwarts okay so he had Slytherin in there obviously and Gryffindor he really couldn't have because Gryffindor is like the super good house so like he didn't want none of that but he had this chalice which we find in Bellatrix's vault and that's that belonged to Helga Hufflepuff okay and then later on we find another horcrux that belongs to 
Rowena Ravenclaw later in the movie. So many of the Horcruxes are some kind of piece of Hogwarts. Okay, that makes sense. So now, as we are leaving the beach hideaway house, we are going to go into yet another heist. Last movie, we had a heist with the trio breaking into the Ministry of Magic, which I think was a much better heist. Lots more tension, lots more excitement. Yeah, this kind of just, again, like I said before, it just felt like padding. It felt slow. There was a little bit of tension at the very beginning. but Right. Besides that... This could have easily been cut from this movie, except for the fact that you had to get the Helga Hufflepuff MacGuffin. Yeah, so Hermione uses Polyjuice Potion to turn into Bellatrix. Ron kind of disguises himself as a lackey of hers. I thought at first that he used Polyjuice too, but I don't think he did. I think he, because at one point they zoom in on him and it looks like Ron's face just like with fucking... A mustache. Fake mustache and like a wig on so i think they just dressed him up he looked like he was trying to be lemmy with red hair like scott said the pacing's kind of wonky it just feels like they're stumbling through this beginning stuff to get to the real meat and potatoes of the movie you know you get some hijinks with hermione as bellatrix and she can't really play bellatrix that well because she's too nice and then she stumbles in with her fucking big ass boots and it's like it's supposed to be tense and like also kind of funny but it's it's, it kind of just falls flat and they immediately get into the vault there's there's really no point where you're like oh i wonder if they're gonna get into the vaults i feel like in the ministry when they broke in there you genuinely didn't know what was gonna happen you're like oh shit is someone gonna figure this out it would have been crazy if hypothetically, I know it probably doesn't happen in the book, but hypothetically, as they go in to go into the vault, the real Bellatrix fucking shows up. Then you have the goblins go, what? You were just here. So they get into the vault. Harry finds the Horcrux, which is, as we said, Helga Hufflepuff's chalice. As Harry is going to try and get it, we immediately realize that this vault is cursed. Everything in it and there are many, many treasures inside. As soon as you touch it, it multiplies and everything starts multiplying like by a bajillion until they're all just like drowning in gold and goodies and stuff. But as Harry reaches for the chalice, he falls over and drops it and Grip Hook grabs the Horcrux and he's like, give me the sword and I'll give you the cup. And Harry begrudgingly gives him the sword he takes the cup and then Grip Hook turns on their asses because he's an asshole and he takes the sword and he leaves them there to fucking potentially die because if you're stuck in this vault forever and you can't get out and also shit is multiplying endlessly, eventually you're just going to drown and lose oxygen and die. But that's not what happens here. Oh, no, because as we were going into the vault earlier, we came across one of the Gringotts security measures, which just happens to be a motherfucking dragon. (laughs) Hermione comes up with this crazy idea that they're going to jump on the back of this fucking dragon and fly it away out of Gringotts. So that's exactly what they do. But yeah, I I do agree with you, Scott. I think this whole section of the movie is kind of a dud. I mean, it's it's important to get through because it's important to the plot that they get another Horcrux and their adventure continues. But I do think that this 
part kind of fell flat. So far, just the beginning of this movie felt unnecessary. But we get the real start of the movie when our trio supreme drops from the dragon and harry has a vision of voldemort and he realizes like oh shit voldemort knows what we're up to he knows we're after horcruxes and part of this vision also is that both voldemort's snake nagini is a horcrux and voldemort also mentions that there is another horcrux hidden in the hogwarts castle and it has something to do with ravenclaw so he gets all this from this vision of voldemort and the trio decides that they are off to hogwarts The trio immediately apparates to Hogsmeade and they enter this pub, this random pub. Someone ushers them in and this person happens to be Aberforth Dumbledore. Ah. Who is that, you might ask? Why, it's Dumbledore's brother. (laughs) You didn't know Dumbledore had a brother, did you? Well, now you know. Ah, but Dumbledore does not only have a brother, he had... A sister. Ooh, yes, there's a, a, a very ominous looking painting on, on the wall of a creepy little girl. Kind of looks like one of the twins from The Shining. <laughs> and that is a, a picture of their sister, Ariana. Th- this is one of the parts of the movie that I don't think it takes away from the quality of the film, but it's kind of a major subplot of the movie that is left out. So throughout the book, Deathly Hallows, A running theme throughout is that Harry realizes how little he really knew about Dumbledore and questions whether or not he really should have trusted him or what mission that he put him on, all that good stuff. And throughout the story, we learn bits and pieces about Dumbledore's family life. In the book, when we finally get to this point where the trio is meeting Aberforth, we really get the completion of that arc where the trio learns what happened to Dumbledore and his family to make him the way he is and Harry despite the fact that he didn't know all of this stuff before and despite the fact that Dumbledore has made mistakes in his past and isn't really the omnipotent wise old wizard that he maybe thought he was growing up he still decides, no, I trust Dumbledore. I trust that he's a good man and he put me on the right path. So it's kind of a real maturation for Harry Potter and kind of a look into Albus Dumbledore as a real human being and not just like wise old man character. I understand that. We get to a point later that I will bring up later that I almost want to say paints him in such a bad light that it almost comes off too mean. I get what you're saying, and it's like that in the book. Okay. We'll come back We'll come back it's to this. It's like that in the book, but then it comes around at the very end. I get what you're saying. I'm on board with you. We're going to get there. So all of this stuff that I just explained, very flowery and, and complete, is very not flowery and not complete in the movie. It's literally like five minutes. <laughs> like, And it's very vague. They don't really explain Dumbledore's backstory at all because up to that point, they really didn't 
focus a lot on the whole aspect of oh can we really trust Dumbledore is he really who we thought he was they don't really do that in the first Deathly Hallows it was kind of just like an offshoot line by a random guy at the fucking Weasley wedding right so like they didn't really focus on Dumbledore's past in this movie either which is fine I'm actually not that mad about it but to me it felt kind of like a throwaway thing that could have been a lot deeper Aberforth tells Harry like oh you know my brother he thought he was the best wizard in the world and you know you think he's a good guy but he's done a lot of bad things and he says something very vague about sacrificing his sister Ariana for his greatness and it's like hmm what the fuck's that about but the real point of that whole chestnut is to get the point across that the sister is dead and that Dumbledore Albus Dumbledore had some hand in it in some way so after harry defends albus dumbledore and says i'm on this mission and i'm gonna complete it aberforth looks at the painting of his little sister on the wall and says you know what to do and then the little girl leaves and goes off into some tunnel through the painting like many other old people in paintings in this franchise they just disappear (laughs) and while ariana is gone We also get the explanation for the magical mirror because the other half of this magical mirror is hanging on the wall in Aberforth's little room there. And Hermione's like, Harry, I can see you in the mirror here. What the fuck? And he's like, oh, why do you have that magic mirror? And Aberforth quickly explains that away, saying that Mundungus Fletcher, the sketchy guy from the last movie, who stole a bunch of shit from the Sirius Black house. He stole the magic mirror and sold it to Aberforth. So we finally get an explanation for that. I wish that they had brought it up in an earlier movie so it didn't seem so out of pocket and like random, but can't do anything about that now. So it is what it is. At least it's explained. But yes, that it also explains that Aberforth is the one that sent Dobby to them to save the day. Because Aberforth saw them in the mirror when Harry was asking it for help. But it's done very quickly so we can move on to, again, the meat and potatoes of the fucking movie, which is the Battle of Hogwarts. So, Ariana comes back through the painting and she brings a friend. Scott, who does she bring with her? Mr. Neville. Long bottom. Yay! Matthew Lewis returns as Neville Longbottom and he's looking significantly hotter than he did when he was a child. Let's talk about that for a second because Harry Potter fans talk about that a lot. He got so very handsome. God bless. Hey, it happens, He was probably one of the dorkiest, weirdest looking kids in the fucking earlier movies and then he grew up and he grew into himself. Well, honestly, all of them kind of did. There's a scene where like Harry and Ron both take off their shirts when they fall in the water. <laughs> yeah, we're like, ooh. And, he, and you're like, damn, Harry's kind of caught here. Well, in the first Deathly Hallows, there was a okay. whole weird sequence when Harry and Hermione were both shirtless making out with each other. Yeah, that was weird. This was <laughs> That wh- was a little weird. At least, I feel like Matthew Lewis can probably still pass as a 17-year-old in this movie. Like, it's fu- like Harry and Ron and Hermione, they really don't at all. Maybe Hermione, maybe. But Ron and Harry, no fucking way. They both look like they're in their late 20s. 
Oh yeah, Ron. And def- they're supposed to be seventeen, and it's like, oh no. <laughs> Ron, Ron looks the oldest of the three. I don't know if he's actually the oldest of the three. I think he is actually. He might be not by much, but I think he is. But like, especially early on when, because <laughs> in the Great God scene, the mustache works almost too well. Like that's supposed to be on his face. It really does. It kind of looks good. But now Neville is here and he's leading our trio Supreme back into Hogwarts because all the secret passages in and out of Hogwarts have been blocked. This is their only way in and out. So our trio, along with Neville, come into Hogwarts. I believe they're in the room of requirement. And we have a bunch of students just hanging out because they want to be part of the resistance Viva la revolution! They're all basically awaiting orders from their king, Harry Potter. And Harry's like, listen, we gotta find something that's hidden in the castle, has something to do with Voldemort. We don't know what it is, where it is, how it is, who it is. The only thing we really know is that it would be something small and easy to hide, and it has something to do with Ravenclaw. And Luna pipes up, and she's like, well, what about the lost diadem of Rowena Ravenclaw? It's been lost for centuries. No one knows what it is, where it is, who it is, why it is. You get what I'm saying? But it's small, and it's like a little tiara, so maybe that's what it is. And they're like, hmm, perhaps it is. We get also a nice little reunion with Harry and Ginny. She sees him and she's like, oh, Harry. <laughs> oh. Though the best part of Ginny reuniting with Harry and the trio completely ignores her brother. Yeah. He's like, bitch, I've been gone for six months and I'm your brother. What the fuck? So we cut to this next part, which actually wasn't in the book. So I was really excited that this was added. Snape has figured out that Harry is in the area. So he calls all of the students down to the Great Hall very Nazi soldiery like. I got Lion King be prepared hyena marching vibes. Okay. <laughs> from that scene. And they all are standing in the Great Hall and Snape is just doing his thing like I know that Harry Potter's in the area. You must tell me very, you know, very Alan Rickmany. We love that about him. And Harry is hiding in the crowd and he bursts out in front of Snape and confronts him. I love this because in the book, Harry never really got to confront Snape about what happened, about how he killed Dumbledore. And he literally says to him a line that I thought was really powerful. He looks at Snape and says, How dare you stand where he stood? Tell them how it happened that night. Tell them how you looked him in the eye, a man who trusted you and killed him. Tell them. Oh, so good. Well, yeah, so Harry gets this big whole scene, and Snape does this kind of like where he looks like he's going to fight Harry, but McGonagall steps up. Oh, yes, Maggie Smith has her moment, girl. So Maggie Smith goes on the offensive very quickly. Snape never throws a spell. No. Not once does Mm-mm. he throw a spell. Mm-mm. I noticed nope. it right away. I'm like, Snape nope. doesn't do one thing, and he just kind of knocks Maggie Smith's spells away and then kind of flees through the window. Yeah. After Snape flees, we hear Voldemort speaking like a PA system to all of Hogwarts, basically saying, give me Harry Potter in one hour's time and no one will be harmed. And immediately the Slytherins, being the Slytherins that they are, try to capture Harry and everyone well, else well, defends well, well, him. No, no, no. Okay. 
let's slow down here. That is revisionist history. No. It is revisionist history. No. Because you know what? The Slytherins get done dirty here. They're fucking kids. Let's talk about this because, <laughs> because this bothered the shit out of me. Okay, okay. So the Slytherins, after hearing the most powerful wizard in the world to them, yeah, and he has the Elder Wand, by the way, so he's super powerful right now. Continue. So he speaks in everyone's heads and says, Give me Harry Potter and you will be fine. A normal person goes, Grab Harry and just give him to fucking Voldemort. No. See, that's that's not a very Gryffindor thing to say, Scott. I don't care. That's a no- that You're that- supposed to stand up against evil. A normal reaction for most people would be that. But instead, let's now screw the Slytherins, throw them in the dungeon. <laughs> yes, McGonagall. And everybody cheers. McGonagall goes, put all these Slytherins in the fucking dungeon. And then, yeah, everyone cheers in support of that. You're imprisoning children and cheering about it. It's not good. <laughs> It's not okay. It's not nice. They didn't do that in the book. In the book, McGonagall kind of takes the reins and sends all of the younger children as well as all of the Slytherins home. But does it really matter? They're Slytherins. I mean... Just because they're Slytherins does not make them evil. It doesn't. Except when you have it in the movie that they must be evil. It, It doesn't make them evil. However, if you're trying to capture Harry Potter and potentially join forces with Voldemort, then you're you're not conducive to the plan here. Just because Hitler went to your elementary school does oh not God. make you... No one say that! <laughs> That's exactly what Seeing said here. So after all of these little, little evil children are placed in a dungeon... Everyone else prepares to fight. We get a lot of cool little things here. The Order of the Phoenix shows up to help protect the school. One of the coolest parts is when McGonagall goes outside and she does a little hoodwinking spell to bring all of the gargoyles and the knights of Hogwarts to life to protect the school. Ron and Hermione go to Harry and they're like, Hey, Ron came up with this great idea. We're going to go to the Chamber of Secrets to get a basilisk fang from the dead basilisk in the chamber so we can kill the Horcruxes because we don't have the fucking sword anymore. So Ron and Hermione go off to the Chamber of Secrets while Harry and Luna Lovegood, they go off to the Ravenclaw common room and Harry talks to the ghosts of Ravenclaw Tower who just happens to be the daughter of Rowena Ravenclaw. Harry asks her where her mother's diadem is and the ghost says it's in the place where everything is hidden. Hmm. Where could that be? Hmm. The room of requirement. The room of requirement. Meanwhile, Voldemort and the Death Eaters are approaching the school, ready to fight, ready to battle. And Voldemort has, as I mentioned before, the Elder Wand. But he notices it doesn't work at full power. It's not working like I want it to. Why is that? Hmm, I wonder. We cut to Ron and Hermione 
in the Chamber of Secrets. They get a couple of basilisk fangs and Hermione goes to stab the Hufflepuff chalice with the fang. And like all the other Horcruxes, it tries to kind of fight back. A bunch of angry water rises in the chamber. That's the only way I know how to describe it. Okay. I want you to think of Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. (laughs) Because they totally ape this fucking effect from Brendan Fraser's The Mummy. They kill the goddamn Horcrux. And the most important part of this scene is that Ron and Hermione kiss. And it's so cute. Very cute. (laughs) They get over their fucking selves and admit they love each other. So... Finally, the Battle of Hogwarts begins. This is what we're here for, people. This is what we paid the fucking ticket price for. We want to see the fucking Battle of Hogwarts on screen. Harry is rushing to get to the Room of Requirement. He runs into Neville as well as Ginny. Neville is like, we're going to fight, but in case we're dead by dawn, I have to go and find Luna and tell her I love her. And it's like, okay, that came out of nowhere, but you go, girl, you go. And then Ginny and Harry share a little smooch. And she's like, go, go save us, Harry Potter. (laughs) She doesn't actually say that. That's a little schmaltzy and stupid, but you know what I'm saying. Oh, God. So tell me how you're feeling right now, Scott. Are you feeling pumped? Are you excited for the Battle of Hogwarts? Oh, yeah, I'm ready for the battle. Uh, They have some fun moments here. But then there's also some bad parts in this that I was very upset about. Well, we're going to pick it apart. I'm ready. I'm ready to defend this movie (laughs) to the death. It was at this moment that he knew he fucked up. So Harry goes to the Room of Requirement. And Malfoy is lurking around. He apparently evaded the Slytherin dungeoning with his friend Goyle and other guy because the actor who played Crab in the earlier movies went to prison, so he's not in the movies anymore. (laughs) We'll just ignore that fact. So Harry goes into the room. He does find the Horcrux, the Diadem of Ravenclaw, and... Immediately as he has it in his hands, of course, that is when Draco arrives. Yes, and Draco's like, you have something that belongs to me. Ah, yes. This is a good part to bring up the whole wand situation. So in the last movie, before they escaped the Death Eater lair with Dobby, Harry had disarmed Draco and stolen his wand. Now, back at the beach house, in the very beginning of this movie, Harry had spoken to Ollivander, who is the wand guy, who they also saved from the lair, and he inspected Draco's wand and said, I think because you disarmed Draco, this wand is now loyal to you, which basically introduces into the movie franchise that wands wands choose the wizard that was mentioned in an earlier movie but Ollivander really brings it home that the wand chooses the wizard and this fucking <laughs> Scott is not having it I was just gonna go into a flowery explanation <laughs> go ahead, go no, ahead I, like I get it I understand but it's so fucking pointless this whole fucking bit is fucking pointless no it's not you it, have to I, introduce wand loyalty for what happens later but it's not you're introducing this an hour into the eighth movie of the series like, this would have made sense to bring up when we first met Ollivander years ago. It's such a dumb, stupid thing. Because You're a dumb, stupid thing. No, because 
So Malfoy's pissed. He wants his wand back. But right as he's got Harry backed into a corner, Ron and Hermione show up and a little fight ensues. And at one point, Harry says to Draco, why didn't you tell Bellatrix that it was me back at the evil lair? Because if you remember in the last movie, Harry's face was all fucked up. He was captured and they were like draco tell us if that's really harry potter and he was like uh i don't know and harry's like you knew that was me why didn't you say anything kind of alluding to draco's continuing struggle with right and wrong here draco kind of feels like an afterthought he does in this movie which is kind of a bummer because i feel like they built it up in the sixth movie like his struggle was gonna play more of a role and maybe by the end he would turn good maybe we'd have a kylo ren situation but doesn't seem like that's in the cards <laughs> but moving on very quickly the rumor required me to set a flame that's right fire <laughs> the trio narrowly escapes the fire he manages to save random friend along with draco however goyle dies in a fiery inferno it just happens ever so quickly bam dead <laughs> after they escape the room of requirement harry gets a vision of voldemort and nagini hanging out just hanging out with lucius malfoy who is just a simpering little fuck. Voldemort's like, I need to talk to Severus Snape. Harry sees that he's in the boathouse of Hogwarts, which I didn't know there was a boathouse. But if you think about it, in the first movie, they established that like the first years go on little boats to Hogwarts. So they're like, oh, I guess the boats have to sit somewhere. So there's a boathouse now in Hogwarts. Sure. So the battle of Hogwarts keeps raging on as the trio goes to intercept this meeting at the boathouse between Voldemort and Snape. I love this whole part. The music particularly is so epic. It's really, really well done. We get Lavender Brown being eaten alive. Yeah, that was so, I don't know. I kind of liked that. That also happened in the book, but I liked that because kind of similar to the Hedwig death. It's just so quick. Like, oh, wow, no one is safe. They're even killing like random side characters that are just in one fucking movie. Well, well that's the thing is, if you didn't point out to me that that was Lavender Brown, I wouldn't have known that was Lavender yeah. Brown. No, I, and I would totally have understood if he didn't because it was so quick. But we go right to this Voldy-Snape meeting. Voldemort is talking to Snape about the Elder Wand. He's like, you know, I feel like it's not really doing it for me. And then I realize that the Elder Wand isn't loyal to me because I, even though I took it off of Dumbledore's body, I'm not the one that killed Dumbledore you are the wand it should be loyal to you and as soon as Voldemort explained that aspect of it Scott looks at me and he's like oh shit like I knew Snape died right like, we didn't know like the circumstances no I didn't know the circumstances but even still Voldemort like paralyzes him and then the guinea fucking like I guess he's supposed to rip his throat out and all they hear is like the snapping of Nagini and like slamming Snape into the wall. Because they cut away from it. I'm like, come on, show me something. I mean, it's not a kid's kid's movie, but it's they don't want to do like too much gore. 
We just killed it. We had somebody eating someone in the last scene. Yeah, you didn't see gore, though. It's pretty brutal without showing a lot. It is, but I'm like, it's just another off-screen death, basically. Scott does not like off-screen deaths. We're going to talk about that in a minute. For major characters. Voldemort leaves, and then the trio comes in and tends to Snape. And Harry, despite the fact that at this point, he still thinks that Snape is a fucking cold-blooded murderer and an evil son of a bitch he still puts his hand against his wound on his neck and try and like put pressure on it like he's still trying to save him he's dying and he's he's crying you kind of see his real self in his death scene and he's crying and he tells harry take my tears take them take them and harry takes a, a little vial and captures some of Snape's tears and Snape tells him take these to the pensive and you'll you'll see the truth and the most powerful part of his death scene he looks at Harry and he says look at me you have your mother's eyes and he dies and it's like whoa once we get to the pensive you'll realize why that's even more powerful Voldemort for some reason, decides there will be a break in the battle. Harry has to come to him, and you can all bury your dead. So we go back to Hogwarts where Fred, Tonks, Remus, and a bunch of other kids. I think they said 50 kids are dead. Now, my problem with this... A, Fred got one line and died in this entire fucking movie. Also, with Remus and Tonks... They show a a bit of them right before the battle reaching out towards each other. And when you see them dead, they're lying next to each other, reaching out their hands to each other. So it's really like, oh, it's like emotionally fucking terrible. Now, Frankie. Yes, dear. In the entire Harry Potter series. Yes, dear. (laughs) What are the most impactful deaths? Uh, Well, I would definitely say Sirius is up there. And uh, Dumbledore did make me a little misty-eyed. Now, why would you say that is? Not for the reasons you're going to say. Um, I would say that is emotional because they're very important characters and you love them and you don't want them to die. Yes, that is true. And you don't want them to die, but you see them die. That's not what makes it emotional though that makes it very emotional because you're with these characters it's such a big thing when you see a character die i don't even think you see fred's body no you really don't in the movie you just see the weasleys kind of huddled around him but you don't really see the body these are major characters fred gave the marauders map to harry like these are important characters right even if it's just like a flash in a battle where Fred and George are fighting and then because he dies in an explosion, you see an explosion and Fred flies back. That would be a big scene. Well, that... Wow. That's... Re- did you... Are you sure you didn't read the book? <laughs> That's literally what happens in the book. In the book, <laughs> Fred's death is a lot more emotional. I will give you that for sure because in the book, the trio along with Fred and George... And Percy, because Percy comes back and makes up with the Weasleys right before the battle. And they're fighting. And then there's an explosion and Fred dies. And they're all there and they see it. And it's like, whoa, holy fuck. That would have been a great moment. That's why I got You were like, an explosion. And he died. I'm like, whoa. Do you read the book? But I, I agree with you there. 
I think there should have been more of a direct acknowledgement of Fred's death. It's still emotional, but there it, there could have been more there. I agree with well, you. Well, also, Remus and Tonks. Remus is Harry's last connection to his father. The last one. Yes, I agree with that as well. They don't show in the book, though, them dying. They just see, they see them dead in the book. They don't actually show them dying. I don't like off-screen deaths from major characters. At least we see their bodies on, like, fucking Mad-Eye Moody, who fucking just gets, oh, he's dead. But here's the thing, and here's my counter-argument, okay? I think it goes along the line of what we've done really from the beginning of Deathly Hallows Part 1 with Hedwig's death, where it's like, it sends the message that no one is safe and it could happen at any time and it could happen like that. I'm not mad at it. I still felt the emotion of the moment when I saw Ramus and Tonks lying dead there reaching out for each other would I have felt it more if there had been a whole death scene yeah sure but I think I still felt it just as much seeing them lying dead there together even though their romance and their life together wasn't as developed as much in the movies as it was in the books I still felt it Hey guys, quick break from the main show. We just wanted to take a minute to show you all some kick-ass podcasts that Scott and I really enjoy. Check them out now. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam, the provocateur. And together we are the Spy Hearts Podcast. Every Tuesday, we decode the best and the worst of spy cinema to decipher if they make the knock list. That's right. The knock list is the need-to-see official classics of the spy genre. The best of the best, so to speak. Nobody does it better. From Bourne to Bond and Powers to Palmer, you can bet we will cover it. So subscribe now and revel in the audio equivalent of a smooth martini. Just search for SpyHards, that's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S, on all major podcast apps. And let's just hope you find us before we find you. So after all this, Harry goes to the Pensieve to deposit Snape's memories. And we get a nice dump of information here that is kind of mind-blowing. Who knew your tears held your memories? Who knew? Magic! (laughs) So we learn a lot here about Snape and his role throughout the entire franchise. I'm going to explain it as best I can, so guys, hang on to your hats. Apparently, Severus Snape and Lily Potter grew up together as kids. He fell in love with this this young Lily Potter, but when they went to Hogwarts, Lily ended up in Gryffindor and Snape went to Slytherin and they kind of grew apart. James Potter bullied the shit out of Severus. Then uh, fast forward to uh, later when they're adults and Snape is with the Death Eaters. James and Lily are married and they had Harry and they're running from Voldemort. Snape goes to Dumbledore and he begs him. He says, please, oh, please. Voldemort's going to go after Lily and James and their son. You have to protect them. Then we, we fast forward again to the Potters being killed and Snape is slowly inching into their home and he finds James and Lily dead and he holds her in his arms and is sobbing. It's a very powerful, deeply, deeply sad moment. 
So after this, Snape goes to Dumbledore again and he's like, what the fuck? You said you were going to protect them. And Dumbledore's like, listen, they trusted the wrong person, i.e. Wormtail. And they're gone now, but their son still lives and he's going to need protection when Voldemort eventually returns. So what do you say for being a double agent there, Snape? And Snape's like, okay, but no one can ever find out. We fast forward again to... Snape in Dumbledore's office at Hogwarts. If you remember back in, I think, Half-Blood Prince, we introduced the fact that Dumbledore got one of the Horcruxes, which was a ring. And this ring has some kind of curse on it that has negatively affected Dumbledore. It's like made his hand all black and Snape tells him it's eventually going to kill you. Now, the ring in the book is a little bit more explained just in general. The ring obviously is a horcrux and was cursed by Voldemort, but it is also the stone in the ring is the resurrection stone, which is one of the Deathly Hallows, and it is capable of bringing the dead back to life. So in the book, the reason that Dumbledore got cursed is because when he found the ring, he put it on because he was tempted to use it to try to bring his sister back to life. So Dumbledore, he says to Snape, listen, I know Draco Malfoy is trying to kill me, but you have to be the one to do it. Basically establishing that back in Half-Blood Prince, Dumbledore's death was actually planned ahead of time. Because Dumbledore says to Snape, if you kill me, then Voldemort will trust you completely and you can really fucking get at him. (laughs) Snape basically is like, okay, what is this all leading up to? And Dumbledore reveals the big fucking kahuna that Harry Potter is indeed a horcrux and in order for Voldemort to die Harry has to die as well. Yeah and this is the point where I was like this kind of comes off a little mean Snape basically says oh so you bred Harry like a pig for slaughter and Dumbledore kind of like shrugs his shoulders at that that's kind of fucked up we haven't had this be a thing for Dumbledore and just kind of have one line about it really kind of seems it seems very matter of fact and when Snape basically says just that Dumbledore says to Snape like oh don't tell me you actually care for the boy now and Snape gives us our very last reveal he takes out his wand whips up a Patronus and it is a doe the exact same doe that was in the previous movie that showed Harry where the sort of Gryffindor was and just as an aside guess what Lily Potter's fucking Patronus was a doe (gasps) after all this time always so sad I can't take it Scott, what what was your reaction to all of these many, many much reveals? Um, again, I think they had been hinting at Snape's love for Lily for a while. It's very funny that when he looks at Harry, he sees James, who he hates. Yeah, because he looks like James, but when he looks in his eyes, he sees Lily. He sees Lily. So it's very interesting. The doe thing with the Patronus was cool. It, It does add a whole background to Snape's character that would be very interesting to go back and rewatch everything again but overall it's it's a good reveal it's done well 
it's very similar to Dumbledore in that while Dumbledore is in the earlier movies like a cut and paste wise old man character Snape for a lot of the earlier movies does seem like a cut and paste villain character but then he comes around and becomes one of the most dynamic characters of the whole series after this Harry goes to Ron and Hermione and he tells them that he's going into the Forbidden Forest to meet with Voldemort and he explains to them that he is a horcrux and I found something really interesting that I forgot about he says to Hermione I think I've known for a while and he says to Hermione I think you have too and Hermione just cries and hugs him and she's like I'll go with you and they're like no I gotta do this alone you gotta you guys have to kill the snake kill the snake and then I'll fucking kill myself and then we'll be good to go and then it's just Voldemort it's just so fucking sad and then he very solemnly goes off into the forest and he whips out the snitch that Dumbledore bequeathed him in the first movie. And if you remember, we talked about how it was hoodwinked by Dumbledore to be able to hide something inside of it. Harry finally kind of figures it out like, oh, this is the moment where I was supposed to get whatever's inside. So he takes out the snitch and vocalizes what he knows deep inside he's like i'm ready to die and when he says that the snitch reacts it opens up and it reveals a little stone inside which is the resurrection stone right before he walks into the forest he kind of flips the stone in his hands and up pops several kind of ghostly projections of the most important people in his life namely his parents sirius and lupin yeah, so at least Lupin gets a line. Yes, God bless David Thewlis. <laughs> he gets something here. This is where I wanted to talk about the Lupin thing, actually. So in the book, Lupin really gets kind of a, a decent subplot that is completely erased in this movie. In the movie, right at this point, Harry is talking to all his ghostly family members. He turns to Lupin and says, I'm so sorry. You have a son. I I'm sorry that you've been taken away from him. And this is the first mention that we have. <laughs> he has a son with Tonks. And it's like, oh, okay. Throughout the book, it starts really from the very beginning when Lupin and Tonks kind of announced to everyone that Tonks is pregnant. And Lupin is very hesitant and scared. He's kind of shitting bricks about it because he's a werewolf and he doesn't know how that's going to affect the kid. And he is avoiding Tonks and like staying away from her as much as he can. And Harry says to him, like, what, you're just going to abandon your kid now? Like, what are you doing? They have a huge fucking argument about it. And then later on in the book, you find out that Lupin did end up going back to Tonks and they're okay now. And she has the baby and he asks Harry to be the godfather. It's like a whole fucking thing. And they completely erased it for the movie, which is kind of a bummer, again, because I love Lupin as a character. Well, we couldn't focus on them getting married. It was like, oh, yeah, we're married. No, we move on, move on. It's revealed in like a lie. I know. But Lupin, as well as Harry's parents and Sirius, they kind of encourage Harry. They tell him how brave he's being and that death is not going to hurt. It's going to be okay. We'll be right here with you. You know, the appearance of the ghost isn't for any plot importance. Like, they don't do anything physically to help Harry. They're just there 
for emotional support. Yeah. And I, I like that. It's uh, good. It's a poignant, beautiful uh, moment. I, I don't mind. I like, I like that they're there. It's just weird because he has the resurrection stone in his hand and he just kind of drops it in the middle of the woods before going off to fight Voldemort. I'm like, okay. That's also in the book, by the way. I guess he just wants to throw it in the forest so it's gone and no one will know like where it is and no one can use it for nefarious purposes. I, I guess. It just, it just felt like, oh, I got this stone. Oh, well. But Harry goes into the forest and he finds Voldemort there with a bunch of Death Eaters. And actually Hagrid is tied up to a tree. It kind of comes out of nowhere in the book, too, that he's just in the forest and they got him tied up. I don't know. Whatever. It's fine. We need we someone need... to carry Harry exactly. Potter back. Exactly. That's 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 what it is. And, you know, when in doubt. Make the giant do it. Yes. Voldemort immediately kills Harry with a nice Avada Kedavra. And the screen flashes to white. And Harry Potter is dead. Kind of. So he wakes up in limbo, essentially. It's uh, an all-white King's Cross station. So you're saying when we die, our limbo is a train station like The Matrix. So you're saying I'm going to be stuck in the LIRR for the rest of the Oh, that's a terrifying thought. Ew. Oh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> Speaking of terrifying images, as Harry is walking around in this limbo type environment, I realized, oh shit, the weirdest part of the movie is coming. I should probably warn Scott. Hey, Scott, something really bizarre and weird is about to happen. So just be warned. And then all of a sudden, Harry leans down, looks into a crevice, and he finds a bloody <laughs> fetal looking Voldemort slowly dying in a torturously scary and gross manner. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> to be fair, this is in the book. However, when I first watched the movie in theaters years ago, I hadn't read the book yet. So when I saw this on the big screen, <laughs> it was very disturbing. It is by far the most disturbing imagery in the Harry Potter franchise, I think. It's so weird and so out of nowhere. Yeah, it's Voldemort on the ground in like a little fetal baby Voldemort and he, <laughs> he has no skin and you're like, what the fuck is going And Dumbledore is this guy that shows up is like, oh, don't worry about that. That that, that doesn't matter. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he basically tells Harry like that is the part of Voldemort that was living inside of you, Harry, and now you're free of it. So here's the thing. You could die if you want to. You could board a train and go on to parts unknown. Or you could go back to the land of the living. And we all know the decision Harry Potter makes. We know. Harry says to Dumbledore, like, how am I supposed to defeat him? He is the Elder Wand. His snake is still fucking alive. What am I supposed to do? And Dumbledore repeats a line that he said in an earlier movie. Help will always be given at Hogwarts for those who ask for it. Except this time he kind of switches the line a little bit and says it will be offered to those who deserve it. Wink, wink. Dumbledore gives us another lofty line before he leaves. He says, don't pity the dead, Harry. Pity the living and those who live without love. It's kind of like out of a fucking poetry book or something. <laughs> and then Harry's like, 
sir, has all of this been in my head or is this real? And Dumbledore says, well, of course it's in your head, Harry. <laughs> but, but what makes you think it isn't real? Oh, God. And then that's how we end that scene. Yes. Like a fucking fortune cookie, as, as usual, with Dumbledore. Yeah, and Harry gets brought back, but the Death Eaters think he's dead. Yeah, so Hagrid carries Harry back to the school with the Death Eaters and Voldemort, and they basically have a very solemn and sad confrontation with what's left of the Hogwarts people. They all see that Harry is quote-unquote dead in Hagrid's arms, and Ginny screams, No! It's kind of, it's really sad. Yes, but I give you Neville Longbottom, and Neville Longbottom comes out bloodied, beaten. Holding Hold the sorting hat. Indeed, and he's, hmm. and he's like, Harry might be dead, but we will never go quietly into the night. <laughs> we will fight you to the end of the earth because it is the right thing to do and you are a piece of shit. But right at the most penultimate moment of this sequence, Neville whips out the fucking Gryffindor sword. That's right. He is a true Gryffindor. And he whips out the fucking sword from the hat. And he's like fucking Mel Gibson from fucking Braveheart. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Freedom. And a fucking huge fight ensues, and Harry decides this is the opportune moment to pop back to life. (laughs) Another interesting fact, which I'm kind of pissed off about in regards to Draco at this part. Originally, at this moment, when Harry reveals himself to be alive, Draco was supposed to break free from the Death Eaters and throw Harry his wand. And they filmed the goddamn scene, and they didn't put it in the movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of weird because Draco just kind of walks into his mother's arms and then kind of just walks off with his mother. Yeah, when the fight starts, the Malfoys just fucking fuck off. They flee. And it's like, that's how you're going to end this. I mean, fuck Lucius and Narcissa. Who gives a shit about them? But that's how you're going to end the Draco character. It's like the same thing I felt with Kylo Ren, how like they fucking wasted this like cool fucking character and didn't really do his arc justice it sucks <laughs> uh but yes they're they're all in fighting now harry and voldemort are going at it hermione and ron are fighting the snake bellatrix is fighting with Ginny, and then molly fucking steps in molly fucking oh, weasley okay this is something i wanted to talk about mama bear moment Molly Weasley has a great moment that she fights and she eventually does kill Bellatrix. Yes! Get away from my daughter, you bitch. Yes, we love that fucking line. Go ahead. In the books, does Molly have more of a thing with Bellatrix? No, it's literally just that moment in the book. Okay, this should have been Neville's kill. I, okay, I agree with you and I don't agree with you because... Mind you, Neville does get his his moment in the sun. We're going to talk about it. But I do agree that it would have been even more deep of a moment if Neville killed Bellatrix because Bellatrix killed his parents. However, you got to love a good mama bear moment. Yeah, no, don't get me especially wrong. Especially with Molly because at this point she has just been quintessential mama. Like, 
oh, now, dear, you must wash the dishes and clean up for dinner. But now she's like, no, bitch, you will not kill my daughter. You already killed my son. Bitch, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and it's great. It, it is. And, and just like Neville had such a thing with her that I feel like never got resolved for him. I, I get it. But I, I feel like it does get resolved for him because of how he's grown so much. He like has, He started uh, off this fucking franchise as like the fucking brunt of the jokes. Like he's like a dopey, forgetful nudnik, essentially. And then he just grows to be like this powerful fucking fighter. And it's like, yes. <laughs> and we, we see it even more so. When we have one of the fucking biggest like applause moments of the movie when you see it in theaters, it's like, holy fucking shit. Ron and Hermione are fighting the snake, running from the snake. The snake is getting in on them, right? And then, oh, then Neville, after being knocked out for a hot second, he comes to grabs the Gryffindor sword because, again, he is the truest of true Gryffindors and he fucking flies in the air and whacks it down onto the snake's head decapitating that motherfucker and oh it's a moment it's in slow motion it's just everything you want in a fucking moment where a man beheads a snake (laughs) It, it is a great moment it is a great kill for neville this also leads to like voldemort being like oh god him and harry right now are having a battle of laser wand <laughs> laser wands like the laser swords laser Star Wars. yeah exactly yeah as they're having their big battle harry mentions to voldemort he's like oh that elder one not doing it for you voldemort feeling a little flaccid over there and <laughs> voldemort's like no i killed snape so now the elder one isn't loyal to me and harry's like Mm-mm, i don't think so they fight they have their big battle Voldemort's Avada Kedavra spell rebounds hits Voldemort and it kills him the Elder Wand flies into the air right into Harry's hands but what's weird about this I thought at least watching it this time is how not huge Voldemort's death scene actually is it's almost like he got snapped away yes exactly like Infinity War yeah there's not even any screaming i don't think from him and it's weird because even scott was like when harry got the wand in his hand he's like oh is he gonna do avada kedavra and then the next shot is voldemort crumbling away he's like oh okay (laughs) like i don't know i kind of agreed with scott that like it would have been a more like yeah moment if he took the elder wand and went avada kedavra to voldemort and killed him that way but Either way, the Wicked Witch is dead. That's all that fucking matters, I guess, at the yeah. end of the day. Now we get kind of the aftermath of this huge battle. We get everyone kind of licking their wounds. We see Neville and Luna holding hands because that's a thing now, I guess. Ron and Hermione are together and Harry gives them a little smile like, I knew you two would find your way. And our trio Supreme is together again. Yes. Reveling in their victory. On the bridge outside of Hogwarts, Harry explains that the Elder Wand was always his because... Yeah, let's see if you can explain this. 
I want to see. Okay, let's let's get into this. So, the wand was Dumbledore's. Uh-huh. Draco disarmed Dumbledore, so the wand became Draco's. Uh-huh. Then Snape kills Dumbledore. But that was all planned, so it's not... That it, doesn't yes, count. It's, it's, it's planned, but this leads Voldemort to believing that Snape is the guy who the Elder Wand will serve. Right. Because... That's why he killed Snape. That's right. why he killed Snape. So why is the Wand now loyal to Harry, though? The Wand is now loyal to Harry because... In the last movie, he disarmed Draco, uh-huh. even though Draco did not have the Elder Wand. He just uh-huh. disarmed Draco. And there you go. You got it. it. It's such a convoluted mess. It is a little bit, but it makes sense, kind of, sure. No, not really. Okay. <laughs> so, Harry has the Elder Wand, and he decides to break it in half and throw it away because, fuck it, I don't want any more fucking drama. <laughs> Which I get. I mean, but 17 he, years of but he's, straight drama. I've had enough. <laughs> but he still keeps the invisibility cloak. Well, yeah, because that's his dad. So but it's, it's a family heirloom. It's still a Deathly Hollow. They they share this kind of silent moment together, just kind of staring off into the distance. And it's a really poignant moment. Just kind of letting the audience breathe and be like, yep, we made it through. Congratulations. But now we fast forward 18 years. Oh, yes. The epilogue. There is an epilogue in the book. I didn't think it would be in the movie, but it was. They put it in the movie. They put our trio supreme and Draco in all like yeah, older makeup. That's, that's the thing. Like, Okay, so Draco's here in the epilogue. And I'm like, it would have made sense if they had that scene where he froze Harry the wand. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that would because him and Harry have a thing where they look at each other. Yeah. And I'm like, but you cut that scene where that, because Harry smiles. I'm like, why is Harry smiling at him? Yeah, that, I mean, it would have made more sense if they had Draco's kind of last minute turnaround moment where he's on Harry's side, but there's still kind of, there's still a lot of bad blood there. So when they see each other, they kind of give them each other a little nod and that's it. But they kept that out of the movie, so whatever. But... <laughs> really the the point of the epilogue is to show that they lived happily ever after harry and Ginny got married and had kids ron and hermione got married and had kids and they're bringing their kids to hogwarts and one of harry's sons is having his very first year at hogwarts and he is talking to his dad about how he's nervous what if i get put into slytherin and harry says now young albus severus Potter, which uh, it's a fucking mouthful. Yeah, well, he named his kid after Albus Dumbledore and Severus, and he's like, "You're named after two headmasters of Hogwarts, one of which was a Slytherin, and he was the bravest man I've ever known." And I thought that was a sweet thing. It, it's it's sweet, but what about Sirius? Sirius doesn't get a fucking name. Well, maybe the other kid's named after Sirius. I don't remember. S- Sir- Sirius Remus. Maybe. maybe. Who knows. Uh, our trio supreme is watching their children go off on the train to hogwarts and they're smiling in the distance and i just wanted to mention the book ends very nicely at this part it says something along the lines of i'm paraphrasing but oh harry's scar has not hurt him in 18 years all is well and that's how the book ends and that's how the franchise ends and that's where the cursed child begins yes which i didn't like so 
<laughs> and I I was practically made to like that book because not only do I love Harry Potter, but I also love time travel. And I Oh, that has more time travel? It has time travel and I didn't like it. <laughs> Oh, Jesus Christ. But we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the fact that we have made it. Shoot the Flick has officially finished the Harry Potter franchise. Yes. Woo! <sighs> I'm both emotionally and mentally exhausted, but in the best way. Yes, we have now covered both Frankie's biggest franchise in her life and my biggest franchise in my life yeah star wars and harry potter oh god what will be next but scott tell me how you felt about this movie as well as the harry potter franchise in general let's really sum this baby up good okay so as the guy who stopped reading a long time ago for the books it is a very well done series i do like the fact that we have grown with these characters I think the trio did an amazing job. There is so much to explore here. Yeah, it has its kiddie moments because it is a kid's movie to start off. But as you grow with these characters and you are growing as well, it does get darker and more mature. As the books got bigger, there was so much to put into some of these movies that they did rush a little bit at times. But overall, I had a good time with them all. This franchise is very important to me. Because I literally grew up with these characters. And luckily, I was able to fall in love with the franchise that gave me a very satisfying ending. And I'm able to sleep at night. Scott maybe can't say the same thing with Star Wars, but that's okay. (laughs) Scott and I are going to do an official ranking of the Harry Potter movies on Letterboxd. So feel free to find our accounts on there to check that out if you'd like. As far as this movie goes, I gave it a five out of five stars because it's Harry Potter and I love the franchise and this ended it pretty perfectly in my eyes. Scott, what did you give this movie? I gave it a four out of five. It It is a very good ending. I, as much as I had my nitpicks and I shared my nitpicks with all of you, I still think this was a satisfying conclusion and, you know, it was still a fun watch. All right. So next week, we're going to get silly. Yeah, next week we're going to get real silly. Uh, This is going to be a real palate cleanser. (laughs) Oh, pie in the face palate cleanser. Oh my God. Uh, Scott's going to show me a movie that I, I, to be honest, I really don't care to watch. (laughs) Oh, we're going to have some fun. Well, we're going to watch it. It's going to be goofy. It's going to be crazy. I don't know, guys. I don't know. It's going to be. I just don't know. (laughs) Get get the makeup ready. It's going to be. A zany, cotton candy filled movie. Oh, geez. All right. I have um, dropped enough hints now. Yeah, I think we're done with that. Um, <laughs> until then, make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week. For our wacky, silly dilly movie adventure. After all this time. Always. <laughs> Your hairy freaking Potter.